Welcome to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of Scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of Mark. All right, welcome to the listener's commentary on the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is one of four Gospels in the New Testament, the four books that begin the New Testament. They are the four books that tell the story of Jesus. Uh, And Mark is specifically one of what's called the Synoptic Gospels. That is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're all incredibly similar, and they see the story the same way. That's what the idea of synoptic means, to see together or to see it the same way. And so, Mark is one of the three synoptic gospels, along with Matthew and Luke, and he's the shortest of the three. Now, if you haven't listened to the Intro to the Gospels series yet, you should probably go back and do that, uh, just to help you get a handle on exactly what the Gospels are and some of the background details that'll help you understand the Gospels in general. But um, just to kind of set the stage for that, the word gospel itself means news, specifically good news. And it was often used of royal proclamations in the first century world of Jesus' day, Mark's day. It was used, for example, of proclamations from the emperor or proclamations about the emperor. In fact, the birthday of Caesar Augustus, the emperor at the time of Jesus' birth, was heralded as good news, as a gospel. Um, Caesar was viewed as bringing peace to the realm, and he was treated as a god or as the son of God, and his birth was, was like the beginning of the gospel, the good news. In the New Testament, the good news or the gospel is the good news that the one true God is saving the world through King Jesus. That's the gospel, uh, that God himself is actually bringing salvation and redemption to this world, and he's doing it through Jesus, who is now king of the world. And so the elements of the gospel in the New Testament are that Jesus is king, he's died for our sins for the sins of the world, and God raised him from the dead. Now Jesus reigns as the supreme ruler of the world, and he's calling all people to repent, submit to his kingship, and follow him. More on what it means to submit to Jesus' king in the next recording. But for now, that at least gets us started with what the gospel is. And so Mark's gospel is his proclamation of this great news that God is saving the world through King Jesus. Another little important detail about gospels that is helpful as we jump into Mark's gospel is that you almost have to read the gospels with like two dimensions in mind as you read them. One is the historical dimension, the what happened dimension. What did Jesus do? Why did he do it? Why did the disciples respond that way? Why did the Pharisees respond that way? The historical dimension and the literary dimension. Why did Mark put the story together the way he did? Why did he pair these three stories up? Or why did he put this together in this arrangement? The literary dimension. So you have those two dimensions kind of going on simultaneously as you work through a gospel like Mark's gospel. Now, who wrote the gospel of Mark? Well, you could gather by the name, a guy named Mark did, right? The book is technically anonymous, 
But uh, the earliest tradition of the church and all the earliest historical evidence, including the manuscript evidence with names attached to them, is that Mark wrote it. And by Mark, we mean John Mark. John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark. Not only that, but early church tradition says that Mark wrote his gospel on behalf of Peter. That comes from a very early tradition uh, from a man by the name of Papias, writing early in the second century. So shortly after the time period of the apostles, Papias says that uh, Mark reproduced Peter's preaching in his book, in his gospel. Uh, and a number of early church fathers say the same sort of thing. Justin Martyr, for example, in his dialogue with Trypho the Jew, uh, refers to the Gospel of Mark, specifically Mark chapter 3, as the memoirs of Peter. And so we see this tradition beginning very early on and all throughout the early church that Mark wrote this gospel and he wrote it to record Peter's recollections, Peter's way of presenting the story of Jesus. So that's what the Gospel of Mark is. It's Mark's record of Peter's preaching or Peter's teaching about the story of Jesus. Interestingly enough, Peter is portrayed in the least favorable way in the Gospel of Mark. Which makes sense if there's this connection with Peter. Um, and Peter wanted to actually point out, man, I had a rough start to this whole apostolic ministry thing, right? Like I didn't get off to a good start. And Mark's gospel actually contains several unique references to Peter that aren't found in any of the other gospels. And so it seems like the internal evidence actually corresponds well with the external evidence that Mark wrote his gospel in connection with the apostle Peter. And so recognizing that means that although Mark himself was not an apostle, the gospel that Mark penned came from an apostle, from Peter. And that's why the early church uh, recognized it as having apostolic authority because of that connection with Peter. Now, what do we know about John Mark? Well, John Mark was the son of Mary. Mary lived in Jerusalem. So John Mark grew up in Jerusalem and their home was an early meeting place for the church. In fact, some traditions say their home may have been the very place where the Last Supper was held, at the upper room where Jesus met with his apostles and instituted communion and all of that on the night before his crucifixion may have been at this very home in Jerusalem. We don't know that for sure, but what we do know for sure is that uh, John Mark's home was a meeting place for the early church. We also know that John Mark was related to Barnabas, most likely as his cousin. You can see that in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. So his family was super closely connected with the early church right from the beginning. And Mark himself would have been probably, as best as we can tell, a very young man during Jesus' ministry. So he doesn't appear by name in the gospel at all. He doesn't appear by name in any of the gospels. But at least uh, it's highly likely that he was an eyewitness to much of Jesus' ministry in and around Jerusalem as a young man. And because of his connection with the early church, because the early church met in his home, 
John Mark had a close connection with the apostles. We first learn about him in Acts 12, verse 12, which is where we see that uh, the church was meeting in his house. When uh, Peter is freed from jail there in Acts chapter 12, he goes back to John Mark's house, Mary's house, where he assumes the church is meeting. And so that had been a meeting place for the early church early on. Uh, John Mark accompanied then shortly thereafter Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 12 and 13. Now, for some reason, Mark actually left the team partway through that first missionary journey and returned back to Jerusalem. We don't know exactly why that's the case, but you can hear my thoughts on why John Mark might have left uh, Paul and Barnabas midway through the first journey on the listener's commentary on Acts 13 and 15. You can at least hear what I think or some of the very various options and, and how I understand that. But nevertheless, that, um, that event of him leaving the team partway through the journey actually became a source of conflict between him and the Apostle Paul. And then that conflict actually caused Paul and Barnabas to split. And so at the beginning of the second journey, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark a second chance and bring him along again. And Paul's like, no, I'm not going to do that again. And so Barnabas and Paul split and became two separate missionary teams over the disagreement about John Mark. Uh, in the course of time, however, John Mark and Paul actually later reconciled and Mark became a close co-worker with Paul. Uh, Mark was with Paul during the Roman imprisonment, uh, Philemon 24. Uh, Mark was highly recommended by Paul for ministry. You can see that Colossians chapter 4 verse 10. Um, Paul was actually anxious to see John Mark when he was in prison in Rome awaiting execution, 2 Timothy 4.11. And so they reconciled at some point uh, later. John Mark became another close companion of the Apostle Paul. And it seems like John Mark also, in some regards, worked with Peter. Uh, in fact, when Peter writes 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5.13, he mentions that Mark is with him in what Peter calls Babylon, by which he means Rome. And so Mark is there with Peter when Peter is in Rome towards the end of his life. And it's during that time period, as best as we can tell, that uh, Mark took down notes and prepared his gospel in connection with the Apostle Peter. Now, later church tradition says that John Mark at some point went to Alexandria in Egypt, established a church there, and, and actually died a martyr's death there in Alexandria. And so that, according to early church tradition, is how John Mark's life ended. When did Mark write his gospel? Well, we don't know 100% for certain. And before we look at a few details on that, let me just say this as a bit of an aside. It's become common among Bible scholars to say that Mark was the first gospel written and then was one of the sources for Matthew and Luke. And that's completely possible, but we really don't know and we don't have tons of certainty on that. So it's a little bit bothersome to me that scholars act as if that's a known fact. It's not a known fact. Actually, it's an assumption. It's an assumption based on the fact that Mark is the shortest gospel. And so the assumption is, well, the shortest one would be written first and other people then would kind of expand upon that. 
And that assumption, at least by some scholars, is built on another assumption, and that is that the Gospels were written late. They were written later and need more time before somebody actually wrote down the Gospels. Those are two assumptions that I just don't think can be totally justified, and we don't know for sure. Um, I personally don't think it's responsible to build whole theories like whole theories of how the Gospels came to be based on something that is built on assumptions and is so uncertain. So that's my personal opinion. In fact, one strand of early church tradition actually says Matthew was written first. Uh, and so we just don't know. And we, it's quite possible that Matthew was written first at, according to the early church. And so we're not sure which gospel came first. Let's at least be honest about that. And, and so if we're going to say Mark is written first, let's say, I think it's possible that. Here's kind of why I think, but we don't know for sure. Now, having said that, here's what we do know about when Mark was written. Mark was written likely in the 60s. Probably the mid-60s, but it's possible as early as the late 50s. So most likely Mark was written sometime around 64, 65, maybe upwards of 68. Why do we say that? Well, because what the early church said about when Mark and how Mark wrote the gospel. We've already noted that the early church said that uh, it was written in close connection with the apostle Peter. Some of the documents say it was written after Peter died. Some specify that it was written in concert with Peter. And so it's a matter of trying to put those things together. Here's what we know. Peter was killed in the city of Rome in the mid-60s. And so it's most likely that Mark was working with Peter on this project, maybe leading up to his death, and then completed it after his death or something like that. We're not sure. Um, one little fragmentary prologue from, written in Latin, written in the mid-100s, uh, like 160, 170, states that Mark was the interpreter of Peter. After the death of Peter, uh, he himself wrote down this same gospel in the regions of Italy. So, that one says that it was after the death of Peter. Other documents say that it was written in concert with Peter. So here's the way New Testament scholar Donald Guthrie puts it. He says, Mark most likely began his gospel before and then completed it after Peter's death. In other words, um, Mark began the project of kind of putting down Peter's thoughts, getting Peter's input, pulling it together while Peter was alive. He started doing that while Peter was alive. And then Peter was executed before Mark had a chance to totally finish it. And so Mark completed the work after Peter's death. Now, we don't know 100% certain exactly how that all played out, but that's what it seems like from the early church tradition. And so that's why it seems pretty certain that Mark wrote his gospel in the mid-60s, sometime around the final years of Peter's life. And in keeping with that, then, we would say that Mark wrote his gospel in the city of Rome. Uh, those same historical sources that tell us when and how Mark wrote also indicate where he wrote. He did it in the regions of Italy. He did it in the city of Rome. And so it seems that Mark wrote his gospel with the Roman people in mind. Most uh, scholars would say that Mark wrote it to the Romans, to people 
in and around Rome as the original audience who was going to read this work. And that actually makes sense when you look at the way Mark wrote his gospel. Uh, for example, Jesus is presented in Mark's gospel as a man of action. Mark doesn't record much teaching of Jesus, though he mentions that Jesus was a teacher. Instead, Jesus goes here and does that, and then immediately he goes off somewhere else and to do something different. And this uh, actually seems to speak to the Roman mindset, who were pragmatists and people of action. And so Mark presents Jesus as this one who's out to get something done. Not only that, Mark uses in his gospel a number of Latin terms uh, for places rather than uh, their Greek name or their Hebrew name. Why? Well, because if he's writing to Romans, that would make sense to use the Latin names, the Latin phrases, because around Rome, that was the language, Latin. It would also explain why Mark is careful to explain some Hebrew names and Hebrew customs. And so in several places, he actually clarifies what Hebrew phrases mean or Hebrew words mean or Hebrew customs like the Corbin custom in Mark chapter 7. Or um, he explains why it was that they uh, were offended by eating with unwashed hands and some of those sorts of things. Mark explains all these things. And if he's writing to people who weren't familiar with those customs, that would make sense as well. So here's uh, the best way to summarize all that. Here's the way to tell the backstory of the gospel of Mark. Mark wrote his gospel in connection with the apostle Peter near the close of Peter's life. Peter lived out the last months of his life in Rome and was eventually martyred there. Mark wrote his gospel while in Rome with Peter, and he wrote it to portray Jesus as a powerful man, a doer of powerful deeds, but also the suffering servant. We'll talk more about that in the next recording. Let's wrap this recording up with just a handful of special facts from Mark's gospel. The first is Mark's gospel is only about two-thirds as long as Matthew or Luke. He includes just as many miracles as Matthew and Luke, but not so much teaching. Very few teaching, very few parables, or anything like that. And that's why it's shorter. Interestingly enough, the stories he does include, he typically adds a few more graphic details than the other two. He'll note the size of groups. He'll note the, uh, green grass and some of those things. So he, he seems to like the vivid details. And he includes those in the stories he tells, but he has very little teaching. And that's what accounts for him being such a short gospel. Second special fact about Mark's gospel is, uh, on that note, there are only two extended teaching blocks in the whole gospel. There are a few other small ones, but only two big chunks where he teaches. One in Mark 4, one in Mark 13. Mark 4 has parables. Mark 13 is the a teaching block about the destruction of Jerusalem and how that ties in with the end of the age. Third, uh, third fact is that in keeping with Jesus as a servant and a doer of great deeds, Mark frequently uses the word immediately. So you'll be reading through Mark's gospel and immediately Jesus goes here and immediately then he goes there. And so Jesus is presented as somebody who's on the move. He's got things to do. He's, he's accomplishing things. And that seems to be in sync with this idea of writing to kind of Roman people who have valued people of action and people who got things done. And then the last special fact to notice is this, is that Mark presents Jesus as the Son of God and wants us to understand that his death actually demonstrates that. And so Mark begins his gospel 
very first verse as this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. And then towards the culmination of the gospel, almost as a book into that, Mark re records how the centurion, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, sees how Jesus dies. And the centurion says, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, several other times then throughout the gospel, that, that title shows up, Son of God. But those two that bookend it help us see that this is what Mark wants us to realize. Jesus is the Son of God, and his death actually demonstrates him being the Son of God. It doesn't call it into question, and it doesn't negate it. And so Mark presents Jesus as the Son of God who lays down his life for us. That's what we'll take up in the next recording. Hey, it's John. Before we leave this recording, I just wanted to say once again a special thanks to all of you who, by your generosity, make the listener's commentary possible. People uh, like Peter and Brian, Justin and Penny and Andre and so many others who have generously supported either for the last month or for the last several years and made this project and this whole ministry possible. So thanks a ton for your support. If you want to join the team of supporters, the listener's commentary currently is only about 75% funded. And so you can join the team at the link down in the notes below or just go to listenerscommentary.com slash give. Thank you so much for your support.